Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are celebrating Reformation today as we are at that point in, in the year where October 31st is right around the corner. October 31st, 1517 was the day that Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg and became sort of the catalyst for the Reformation. And I suppose we could say as we look at this text from Joshua 24, that was another watershed moment in the history of the people of Israel as they were ready to enter the land that God had now given them. And so as we look at these two events today and think about time and prioritizing our time, both Joshua and Luther give us some pretty good indications of how we can go about doing that. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I wished that a day was longer than 24 hours. Maybe you can relate to that. You had something you needed to do and you wanted the day to be extended. Or, or maybe it was one of those days where you kind of wished that the day was shorter than 24 hours. And yet God in his wisdom has given us 24 hours in each day to use. Today we want to look at the priorities with which we can use those hours. I thought about Martin Luther uh, and I thought about maybe the second most famous thing that happened in Martin Luther's life and this is certainly up for debate. But perhaps you remember if you ever had to learn Martin Luther's history, the date was April 18th, 1521. And Martin Luther was on trial, so to speak, standing before the diet, the meeting at Worms. Looks like worms. I remember being a young boy thinking, what is this diet of worms? That doesn't sound very good. But yes, diet of worms. And he was asked, he was asked to recant, to take back all of his writings. And after asking for a day of prayer, he had come back that next day. And here is what Martin Luther said. He said this, Unless I am convinced by proofs from scriptures or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract, for it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me, amen. Maybe you remember that from that point forward, Luther was labeled a heretic and he literally was an enemy of the state, could have been put to death by anyone. And yet Martin Luther considered it a larger priority to testify to the truth of Scripture than to consider his personal safety. And Joshua is kind of the same way in Joshua chapter 24 today as he encourages the people of Israel to line up their priorities. So that's what we'll talk about today, a time to prioritize. And as we look at the story of Joshua, let's consider our own priorities for a little bit today. First of all, in the choices that we make, and then secondly, in the God we serve. I'm going to read again those first couple of verses from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. But before I do that, just maybe to set the stage a little bit, Perhaps you remember that, that the people of Israel had left Egypt. About 430 years had passed from the time they had first moved to Egypt to the time they came back. And then another 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of Sinai. And now finally, as 
Joshua speaks these words, the land of Canaan has been conquered and the people of Israel are ready to move into their own homes for the first time in 400 plus years. And these words become Joshua's last will and testament. Here's what he says to them. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Do you have a little bit of an adverse reaction to the word choose just for a minute? Maybe as you hear that word choose, you think, well, wait a minute, isn't God the one that has to do the choosing? And am I not dead in sins? I, I can't choose God, he has to choose me, right? That is correct. But what Joshua is speaking about here isn't choosing God in faith. He's not talking about faith, he's talking about making a choice now that they are already chosen by God. And to prove that, I'm going to step back in the chapter just a little bit. Joshua starts verse 14 with the word, now. He's drawing a conclusion from what he previously said. And if you would scan the first 13 verses of Joshua 24, what, would you, see, what you would see is this. Joshua highlights. He highlights all of the things God did to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, the food that God fed them in the wilderness, the way he helped them conquer the land of Canaan. It's just one blessing from God after another. It's then that Joshua says, now, now fear the Lord. That word fear maybe doesn't come across in the way we use it in English as well as it should. We generally use the word fear to describe something that we're scared of, right? Something that, that makes us a little bit afraid. We knock our knees together, right? We're not quite sure what's happening. But this fear is a little different. This fear is an awe, an amazement at God's blessings. Martin Luther used that very same word when he wrote his explanation to each of the Ten Commandments. He wrote this, We should fear and love God. In Psalm 130, we maybe find the best example of what fear means when the psalmist says this, With you there is forgiveness, Lord, therefore you are feared. It's an awe. It's an amazement of what God has done. It's an incredible knowledge that, that the mercy of God is new to us every single morning. Fear the Lord. Be in awe of him, Joshua says, and serve him with all faithfulness. When you hear that word serve, maybe worship comes to mind. Maybe the idea of, of love for God, of honor for him, of grateful obedience because of everything that he has done. What Joshua is asking the people is one thing, to have undivided attention, to give undivided allegiance to the God who saved them. Sounds pretty easy, right? They knew all the things that God had done. Not as easy as it sounds. The choice that Joshua gives them, I suppose we could call a no-brainer, right? Should they serve the God who did all these great things for them or, or should they serve these other gods who have done nothing for them? Pretty easy choice. And I thought about that this week because I kind of have this struggle going on inside my own head about something I should make, I need to make a decision about whether I'm going to continue to do it or not. 
And, and I've wrestled. I've seen the pros and cons. I, I know that, that, you know, I might save myself some time and, and a little bit of effort if I stop doing it. But on the other hand, I, I'm concerned about being close to other people and, and my personal hygiene. So I've decided I'm going to continue to brush my teeth. At least a couple times a day. No brainer, right? Of course, I would like to keep my teeth for a while. I don't want them to rot and be gone forever. And so that's not a hard decision to make. Well, in effect, that's what Joshua is saying to the people of Israel too. Look, you have these two sets. You have the real God and you have these, these fake gods and you should choose the one that did all the great things for you. So listen to how the people respond. Here's the answer they give to Joshua. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. At first, it sounds pretty good, right? The people agree. Joshua's laid out the choices and they said, oh, No, we'll serve the Lord, Joshua, just as you say. It's almost kind of shocking what Joshua says next, isn't it? No, you won't. You can't. You can't serve the Lord. You, you won't be able to do it. I mean, after they had made the promise that they were going to serve the Lord, why was Joshua so negative about the fact that they said they were going to? I can think of at least three reasons and there might be many more. But here are the three reasons that I think Joshua said what he did. Number one, he knew who he was talking to. He knew the people of Israel. He knew the struggles that they had with grumbling and complaining and wanting to serve other gods. Secondly, I think Joshua is directing the people's attention away from their own ability to do something to rely completely on God. If they thought that somehow they were going to, by their own strength, be able to serve God, Joshua was giving them a challenge to recognize that wasn't possible. The third reason that Joshua may have said this is because he wanted to challenge the people. When they said, yes, we will, and Joshua said, no, you can't, he wanted the people to see that this wasn't going to be easy. I don't know about you, but when people tell me I can't do something, there's that little part of me that always wants to prove them wrong. Maybe that's the challenge that, God is, that Joshua is giving to his people. You say you can do it, I say you can't to give them that extra bit of effort to make sure they're doing what God wants them to do. Here's what Joshua knew about the people of Israel. They often had divided hearts. Not the undivided allegiance that Joshua is asking. Their hearts were divided not just between God and the things of this world, but between God and the gods that they had been introduced to whether it was from the gods beyond the, ri the river Euphrates or the gods they had learned about in Egypt or now the gods that they were seeing in the promised land, the people of Israel always seemed to want to do this both-and thing. Yes, we will worship the Lord and we'll worship these other gods because they give us an opportunity to, well, indulge our sinful nature from time to time. 
And it's easy, isn't it? To stand here a few thousand years later, shake our heads and say, those foolish people of Israel, how could they be so blind to all of God's blessings and just chase after other gods? And then I wonder what gods Joshua would ask us to throw away today. What are the gods that are hiding in the corners of our tents that are things that become more important to us than God? Let's just consider for a minute the time that we have, the 24 hours in each day that we have that God gives us, how we use that time. And I'm not advocating that you should be on your knees praying 24 hours a day or even 18 hours a day and then sleep the other six. But I think it's fair for me to say this because I see it in my own life. There are certainly times in my life where things become more important to me than God. Maybe it's my work. Maybe it's entertainment that I want to enjoy. Maybe it's the time I spend scrolling on my phone things that I don't need to do. I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe you don't have this like I do. But every Sunday morning, it probably came just a little bit ago, I get a report about how much time per day I spent on my phone that week. I hate opening that. Because it's just a reminder that that thing becomes too important to me. It's more important to me than it should be. And I think, okay, we don't bow down to the gods from beyond the Euphrates or the gods in Egypt or the gods in Canaan, but we have plenty of our own gods, don't we? And to, jo to us, Joshua could say the same thing. You can't. You can't serve the Lord with undivided attention. Our sinful nature won't allow it. But you see, here's really at the heart of what Joshua is saying. And it's the encouragement that God has for you today too. We want to cling to God's grace because that's where we first find forgiveness for our sins and then second, the, the strength to serve the God who first loved us. We want to cling to Jesus and the grace he offers because that's the only answer for our sins. It's why Joshua could make the confession that he did. Verse 15, he said this, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's an amazing confession, isn't it? After he gets done telling the people of Israel that they're not going to be able to do it, Joshua basically is saying to them, No matter what you choose, this is what me and my family will choose. We will serve the Lord. And maybe we have to ask our question, ourselves this question, How? How could Joshua make that promise? There's really only one answer to that. He knew the grace of God. He believed and trusted in the God who, first of all, forgave all of his sins, but then secondly, strengthened him to serve the Lord in his life. You see, Joshua recognized blessings that weren't just hey, God took us from Egypt all the way through the wilderness and all the way into this land and gave us this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. No, Joshua also knew that God's blessings meant that he had a room prepared for him in heaven. And that's why Joshua could say, here's my priority. Here's the number one priority for my family. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we know Joshua's correct, don't we? Though our hearts are idle factories that so easily make the things of this life into greater things than they need to be, we recognize that there is only one place to find satisfaction 
Oh, and, and, and let's be honest, the things of this world, the things that we often make more important from, than God, they'll give us temporary pleasure. They'll give us temporary satisfaction. But only God can give what lasts forever. Only God can give eternal satisfaction. It's why Peter said what he did in our gospel lesson for today. Did you hear those words from Peter? When Jesus challenges the disciples, are you going to leave too? Peter's answer is this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what we recognize we have in Jesus. Not just the words of eternal life, but eternal life through the sacrifice that he made of himself. That Jesus went to a cross to take all of our sins on him. Even the times that we put things in front of our God, they're washed away in the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus left the tomb, rose from the dead to guarantee that your sins are paid for forever. Why would we want to make anything else a priority? It's Jesus who has the words of eternal life. It's Jesus who promises us something that will last, satisfaction that will last forever. And as we think about Joshua's challenge to us today, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's God who gives you and me the strength to say, let's serve the Lord. Let's serve the Lord with our lives today, tomorrow, and right into the eternity that is waiting for us. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we want to be on our guard against the lure of other gods. I love how David said it in Psalm 20. He said this, Some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Secondly, we cling to the grace we find for, for, uh, in Jesus for forgiveness and for life. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, In him, in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and by, the, by his blood, according to the riches of God's grace. Finally, number three, by the power of the Spirit, we make it a priority to serve our God. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Romans, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I struck out in the first service, so we'll see how we do in this service. Any tough mutters in here? Anybody ever run a tough mutter race? Wow. We're O for the day. Well, I feel better because I've never run one either. But have you heard of the tough mutter? It's a race that goes about 10 miles, a little over 10 miles, and through all kinds of obstacles. So you have to go over walls and, and through muddy ditches. And in one place, I believe there's even little uh, electrical wires that have shocks in them that you have to crawl under. It doesn't sound very fun to me. But people train and they want to finish and I think you get a bumper sticker. Isn't that great? You finished. Here's your bumper sticker for finishing the Tough mutter. But think of the work and the effort that people put into making it to the finish line of that. It's interesting that the average finishing rate of a full marathon, 26.2 miles, is in the upper 90%. People who train for that generally finish the race. The Tough mutter percentage is 77% finish. Almost one in four don't finish after doing all of that training. I don't know about you, but that's good enough reason for me to not enter one. And then I thought about crossing a finish line and the joy in, in training for something and crossing that finish line 
And I realize that's the joy that God is, has waiting for each one of us. That we are going to cross the finish line because of Jesus and what, all he's done for us into eternal life with him. And the joy that's waiting for us there. Whatever effort it takes in this life, strengthened by our God himself, will be all worth it. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.